Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Stephen Nill, CEO of CharityChannel.com. So, you want your charity to succeed. You came to the right place. Integration of online and offline techniques is the key to your successful fundraising, and practical advice on going green is what you need. With this show, The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, you will learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Our host is Ted Hart, one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. This year, he is celebrating 25 years in the nonprofit sector and the 10-year anniversary of his firm, TedHart.com. His books range from successful online fundraising to the use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. His guests are leaders in their field who will share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management, green strategy, and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, here's Ted. And thank you, Steve, and welcome everyone here to the Nonprofit Coach. This is Ted Hart, your host. This is Tuesday, June 7th, and as always, we come to you live from the nation's capital. And those of you who are regulars here on the Nonprofit Coach know that this show always starts with page one news. Now, we've got a full lineup of Page One News today uh, and some very special guests today here on the show. Before we get started, I do want to remind all of our listeners that you can call in and ask questions of our Page Two expert as we get to Page Two after the news. You can dial 347-324-3080. Press the number one that will raise your hand on the switchboard to let me know that you do like to ask a question. You can also join us over in the chat room, and I do see folks uh, joining us in the chat room. Uh, you folks can type out questions there, and we'll ask them on the show. Uh, or you can just email me at tedhart at tedhart.com. Now, we're going to start with uh, page one news, and as always, you can follow along with the radio links over at tedhart.com. Click on radio, and you'll find all of today's radio links. We're going to start off uh, first with uh, an, uh, an article over on HubSpot blog. Uh, and over on HubSpot blog, they share with you, uh, for each of you who are struggling with making a case for the use of Facebook within your organization, and you may be getting, uh, well, we don't have that many followers, we don't really use social media, or you get some really smart administrators who tell you that this is all a fad. Well, what this is going to give to you are 12 essential Facebook stats. Uh, this is data that will help you make a case for why social media is very important for your organization. Here's just a few. 93% of adult U.S. Internet users are on Facebook. That's huge, 93% of adults. One out of every eight minutes spent online is on Facebook. The average Facebook user spends more than 11 hours per month on Facebook. Facebook has become the top choice for social sign-in, and Facebook is overtaking Google and Yahoo in total time spent online. These are just a few of the 12 facts that you will find that will just help you make a case for why it matters that you are engaging in social media. Now, those of you who uh, are familiar with uh, the points that we share here on the Nonprofit Coach, you know that the number one engagement online is a well-designed website. Uh, using email as your principal form of communication. The second most important strategy uh, for every charity in the United States is a strong guide star strategy. And third is LinkedIn. Well, uh, next up here on the radio links uh, from Fast Company are five LinkedIn tips you didn't know. And one of the most important ones that I want to share with you today and all of our listeners uh, should be using is LinkedIn Signal. Uh, you can take a tour of the new-ish feature called Signal on LinkedIn. Now, this tool lets you easily monitor updates within your network, but more importantly, you can filter information 
so that you can see what people in your extended circle, second and third connections, people that you are not even connected to yet but are within your circle are posting. What information are you looking for? You can filter it by industry, by location, so that you can weed out the noise and get to the information that's important to you. So remember, the third most important online strategy for charities in the United States is a strong LinkedIn charity uh, or strategy, and you can learn some more tips over at tedhart.com. Click on radio. Next up here uh, on the Nonprofit Coach, page one news, is an important study that all nonprofit executives should be aware of, uh, and that is a study that came out of the Congressional Budget Office. Uh, you can actually read the report yourself. We've provided a link to the, the report, uh, and this is a study that shows how different changes, different proposed changes in the tax code could affect giving. Now, we all as nonprofit executives, as fundraisers, have to understand the reality is that whatever comes out of Washington in terms of some sort of compromise with the fiscal difficulties that the United States has, it is almost impossible in your host's opinion uh, that there is going to be no effect on uh, the tax code uh, as it affects giving. There is going to be something that will be done, uh, and most likely it's going to come down on the side of restricting uh, um, those uh, deductions that donors can take and trying to maximize the dollars that flow to the government. That's my estimation. Read all about the, the Congressional Budget Office analysis of several different um, options that are currently being considered by Congress. You can download that at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. Now, next up is uh, a, a little uh, back and forth, a little bit of a discussion uh, that was posted on USA Today. Now, Christy Garten over at USA Today has posted an interesting article that asks the question, social media's impact on charitable giving, does it work? Now, this was um, a little bit of a back and forth. Uh, there was a study that they were uh, uh, focusing on uh, that was uh, uh, covered by the Chronicle of Philanthropy from the Nonprofit Social Network Benchmark. Now, we shared that with you here on the Nonprofit Coach when that came out. And what they were saying is that the percentage of nonprofit organizations that participated was relatively low in terms of the numbers of them that were raising money. But, of course, as we know, one of the fastest-growing form of philanthropy is online giving. So those that are seriously engaging the Internet are succeeding online. Now, the contrary to that, was Anthony Sicola uh, from NetWixThinkTank.com. You can read all about this, and what he was talking about uh, is how charities have seen fundraising increase as much as 40%, uh, and it is that people-to-people -people fundraising that works. And so that's all outlined for you here. Uh, comes to us from USA Today. Uh, good job over uh, Christy Garten over at USA Today. And, of course, you can read about it in the radio links today. Uh, next up here on uh, the Nonprofit Coach is my pleasure uh, to welcome again here to the Nonprofit Coach a good friend of your host and of this show, uh, and that is Miles Amend. Miles Amend uh, has been Director of Development and Alumni Relations at Trinity School uh, in New York since 2000 and has recently, congratulations, Miles, been appointed Associate Head of School for advancement. Now, Miles is joining us here today on the Nonprofit Coach, specifically uh, as a member of the Board of Directors of the Greater New York Chapter, where he has served since 2003 and currently serves as president of that chapter. Uh, and we've invited him here today because one of the most important fundraising conferences in all of North America uh, will be taking place this Friday. Miles Amen, welcome here to the Nonprofit Coach. Tell us all about Fundraising Day in New York 2011. Well, Fundraising Day in New York is, um, this is actually our 32nd annual conference. Um, we've been uh, doing this, um, well, you do the math. I can't quite figure it out um, <laughs> since uh, For a while. And you are, and you are the, the largest one-day fundraising is, conference in the world, is, is that right? It is the largest one-day conference um, in the world uh, on fundraising and philanthropy. Um, draws from some 26 states across the country and, of course, from, from here in New York as well. Um, there are over 50 sessions 
uh, being offered in the course of the conference in um, a variety of tracks, and of course, and uh, of course, folks also have the opportunity to kind of create their own track and move from um, you know within the variety of sessions that are available. And I'm very familiar. I've, I've had the pleasure of uh, lecturing at uh, this conference in the yes, past. I will be attending uh, this Friday. I will be interviewing folks and carrying some of those interviews on future editions here of the Nonprofit Coach. This is one of the most important educational opportunities uh, in the United States. How has that become so important? Is it just because it's New York, uh, or is it just because it's such a well-run conference that people tend to gravitate? Well, I'll take both of those. I think the um, um, I think you know obviously we think and and I think it's 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 probably um, arguably true that New York in many ways is the center of philanthropy um, you know in the United States, and um, you know the the number of not for profit organizations that have their homes here, uh, the number of fundraising professionals who um, you know have their bases here you know, really lends itself to this being the largest conference. Um, uh, in the world, I think also um, you know over 32 years we've we've gotten pretty good at it, and um, you know the program which is available online at uh, www.frdny.org, um, you know really shows an incredible breadth of um, educational opportunities for folks. Um, yeah, and Miles, we've provided a link directly terrific. to uh, the registration page and information in the radio links today that all of our listeners can find at tedhart.com. Click on radio, and they'll be able to uh, join us in New York uh, this Friday. Any particular themes? Uh, this has been uh, a, a tough couple of years for fundraising for the nonprofit sector. Are there any particular themes that you're looking uh, for or that you believe that the nonprofit sector needs to hear about in New York on Friday? Well, you know, I think – you're right. I mean, it's been an incredibly tough several years. Um, and, you know, while we're beginning to see signs of recovery uh, in terms of philanthropy and signs of recovery in the broader economy, um, it's not even. And, um, you know, I think especially, you know, many of our smaller organizations, um, grassroots organizations, um, um, you know, healthcare organizations, you know, just you know, really across the board are still struggling with, uh, you know, cuts in budgets. Um, how to do more with less, the need to raise more money, um, you know, every month and every year. And so I think, you know, as you look at the at the range of opportunities um, in terms of the of the conference on Friday, you'll see that we're, you know, we're really trying to speak to the extraordinary pressure that fundraisers are under to, uh, you know, to perform and to bring in the dollars for their organizations. Terrific. And uh, I will be uh, uh, providing a, a, a mentor, one of your mentor uh, uh, programs there, so any of the listeners that want to connect at the uh, uh, at the New York conference uh, uh, can uh, do that as well. We want to uh, encourage all of our listeners to consider uh, joining us in New York for one of the most important fundraising conferences in the world. Uh, that's Fundraising Day in New York. Miles Ahmed, thank you so much for joining us. Good luck uh, with the conference. I know it's going to be a winner. It's always one of the best opportunities for charities, both large and small, to gather together, learn from each other, and learn from the very best. Thank you for joining us here on The Nonprofit Coach. Thanks. Great to be with you, and look forward to seeing you on Friday. Absolutely. See you on Friday. Next up here on The Nonprofit Coach uh, is uh, very, I think, just very, very good news, um, and that is that the United Nations, and this is reported uh, by Mashable, and, of course, this link is over in the radio links as well at tedhart.com. The United Nations has declared that disconnecting people from the Internet is a violation of human rights. And, of course, this is how we connect. This, this is the lifeblood of how humans connect with humans. And if there's anything that we have seen in uh, the Arab Spring and all of the various democracy movements around the world, it is the Internet. It is these new tools that allow people to reach out, connect with each other, and find like spirits. Uh, next up here on the Nonprofit Coach is a really exciting uh, charity event that's going to be coming up in Phoenix. I happen to be a, uh, a huge baseball fan, uh, so when Major League Baseball sent this over to us here uh, at the Nonprofit Coach, we, uh, of course, said that we would share this information. So uh, take a listen and learn all about uh, this event taking place in Phoenix on July 9th. Hello, Phoenix. Mark Ballas here, and I'm here at the MLB Fan Camp. You may recognize me from ABC's Dancing with the Stars. Well, you don't have to be a dance star to get your groove on with the first ever MLB All-Star Charity Dance Con. 
So register online now to be a part of the hottest party this All-Star Summer. All proceeds go to benefit cancer charities. So get in on the action and sign up now by visiting allstargame.com. See you there. You can go to All-Star Game directly uh, or you can follow the radio links and learn all about the Saturday night All-Star Charity Dance Party uh, to support several cancer ca- uh, charities. Uh, this is uh, the first time that they've done this event. It's huge. It's very important. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's out in Phoenix, and even if you can't attend, you can support cancer charities. Check it all out at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. And next up here on the Nonprofit Coach, page one news. Hey, bravo, shout out. You're going to be able to read all about it in the radio links today. From the New York Times, the Boys and Girls Club go high tech. Uh, The Boys and Girls Club can trace their history back 150 years to civic-minded Connecticut women who wanted to help impoverished boys get off the street. Now what they're looking to do is to embrace uh, the Internet and to provide even more opportunities uh, through their federation of nearly 4,000 local clubs uh, that bring together and make up Boys and Girls Club of America. Now the shout-out here is the link that we're providing you to facesofthefuture.org, which is a Facebook uh, community that they are looking to to grow. What I really want to draw attention to, and for our charity listeners today, is that they are. It's almost like they've listened to the nonprofit coach. They've listened uh, to what we've been talking about here, and that is, if you're familiar with what we talk about on the nonprofit coach, it is finding your aunt Mabel's. What we mean is finding those people who have influence, who have networks that you can directly connect with, both online and offline. That's the secret to success of use of social networks. And what they are doing and what this article in the New York Times will point out to to you is that they are specifically looking to leverage moms. What they're looking to do is reach out to those mothers uh, who have a network. They, They call them power moms, the new rules for engaging mom influencers. And this is so important and is so much a big part of, uh, of how uh, the social networks can be used, and specifically in this case, uh, to be used to support children. So read all about that over in the radio links today. Bravo. This is all about people-to-people fundraising. This is what makes it work, and that's why we're here. Uh, that wraps up today's, uh, well, just one last thing here uh, on uh, page one news, and that is to share with you that we have a link directly to our page two experts blog. The AFP blog is available to you. You can find the radio link today uh, to Andrew Watts' blog. Uh, Lots of good stuff in there. And next up here on the Nonprofit Coach is going to be our page two expert. is a fellow of the Institute of Fundraising in the UK. He is now President and Chief Executive Officer of the Association of Fundraising Professionals. AFP is the largest community of fundraising professionals in the world. It has over 30,000 members and more than 200 chapters. In his new role, Andrew serves on the, as the Chief Executive of the AFP. He joined AFP as Vice President for International Development in 2006 and was promoted very quickly to Chief Programs Officer in 2008. He now joins us here on the Nonprofit Coach. It is quite a pleasure. Uh, Andrew, you and I have known each other for a long time, and I have to just tell our listeners, I'm absolutely thrilled to have you at the helm of AFP. Welcome here to the Nonprofit Coach, Andrew Watt. Andrew, are you there? Hello, Andrew, are you there? Oh my goodness! I see him on our uh, on our, uh, our our links here, but uh, where is Andrew? Um, one second, Andrew, are you there? Sorry for uh, for the uh, delay here, folks. We just want to get uh, Andrew here on the show. Andrew, are you here on the nonprofit coach? All right. Well, we're uh, we're hoping that Andrew can uh, join us uh, soon here on the Nonprofit Coach. 
Um, and uh, so what I'm going to do is uh, share with you a little bit of information. Uh, Andrew, if you uh, can hear us, you may need to dial back in. Uh, we do have you here live on uh, on the show, but we're not hearing you uh, here on the nonprofit coach. It's a bit rare that that uh, that, that would happen. Um, yep, I think he's going to dial back in. Uh, he did uh, get that message, uh, so hopefully uh, Andrew will be able to join us uh, here on the nonprofit coach. Now let's talk a little bit about Andrew's uh, blog here, uh, and uh, in the last uh, edition of uh, of his blog. Uh, we were able to uh, uh, learn about uh, prospecting. Uh, and this is a, a topic that we had covered here on the Nonprofit Coach um, uh, just recently, and that is from the Smile Train. Um, and what's really interesting about what Andrew has to say in his blog today uh, is that uh, uh, he, uh, he has uh, agreed with uh, my approach, uh, and that is that he's a little bit worried uh, about how they they uh, and if you remember from last week's show, uh, we were covering this, uh, talking about um, their just give, just give, and we won't ask again, uh, and how concerned we were about uh, about that being an approach for fundraising because it really negates. Uh, Andrew, are you here with us on the nonprofit coach? Ted, I am here with you. Oh my goodness! Okay, we don't know what happened before, but uh, great to have you uh, here on uh, on the nonprofit coach. Uh, I was just sharing um, in the interim to getting you uh, here on the show uh, a little bit about your about your blog, uh, and uh, so since I, I sort of teased everybody on that, we do have a link uh, to your blog uh, over in the radio links today, and you were talking about the smile train, and it's interesting that you came down sort of on the same side as I did last week here on the nonprofit coach, and that is uh, a bit of a concern that anybody would be out there saying, uh, give and we'll never solicit you again, which kind of negates the whole relationship aspect of giving. So uh, since, uh, since I, I teased everybody about that, share with me what you think about the Smile Train's approach to never give again. Yeah, uh, Ted, I think it's a great example in some ways of stewardship, and in other ways, it, it raises great concerns. I mean, ultimately, uh, the relationship that we all have with our donors is about, an, is, is about a dialogue. Um, it's about understanding one another, what we all want. But ultimately, it's about us helping them ensure impact. I don't know how we can do that if we just leave people on their own. But I think that the positive responses to this will really um, be quite considerable. And I do think people will see it as an opportunity, oftentimes, I think that when you're offered that opportunity, it forces you to think about whether you want it or not. Now, with Smile Train, you have to positively opt out of being contacted. And a lot of people, I think, will be given pause, pause to think about that and say, no, actually, this is a great cause. I know about the impact. I really support it. I want to carry on with this dialogue. So it becomes an intentional relationship. And that can't be bad. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. I, I, I did share, as you said, uh, you know, what I'm worried about is that they're implementing how they are implementing this approach, and so I don't want yeah. to spend a lot of time on that. I was uh, I was using that as a as a way to draw attention to your uh, AFP blog and the wonderful things that that you share there. But let me wind this back since we do have you uh, now here on the show. Uh, I did uh, introduce you as the new president and chief executive officer of AFP. Thrilled to have you at the helm. Uh, you've been, now been uh, been in the seat for uh, for many weeks. Uh, how has it been? What you expected it to be, and what what's some of the themes that are coming out of your early days as uh, the new CEO? Well, five years is about the best induction that any incoming CEO could possibly hope to get. So. Um, I don't think there are any great shocks here for me. I hope there haven't been great shocks for anybody else in terms of what I've been doing. But the real key has been outreach. Um, for any organization, uh, an opportunity like this is a chance to step back and listen and really begin to try to understand what you all want from us, what my staff wants from me, and to build that into our strategy moving forward. So the first couple of months that I've had here have been enormously exciting, but very largely because of the outreach I've been able to ha have into the fundraising community with our members um, to the organizations that we all work with here in DC, and also with the, the, the guys who work here in this office and remotely for us, and really help them to understand that we want to bring them into the overall picture. 
you know, what what are some of those themes that that have come out of that sort of exploration or or that sort of that listening uh, that you've been doing for the last uh, several weeks? Well, we need to be more intentional. We're all operating in an, in an, an incredibly rapidly changing environment here. Um, our supporters and um, fundraisers themselves are coming from very diverse audiences. They're supporting diverse audiences. They're increasingly sophisticated. We need to listen to them. We need to understand how they want to use us and respond to that flexibly, nimbly, and as effectively as possible. And so we need to put ourselves under the microscope um, as a result of those, that dialogue and those conversations and really ask ourselves the tough questions. You know, are we really helping people to achieve maximum impact in their work? Are we helping donors achieve maximum impact in society? And then come back, look at it, and see what we can do to really help them hit it as they need to. Now, I, I, it, I feel like I'm, I'm hearing something in your message there, and that is to focus the membership of AFP on their donors. Is that Am I hearing the right thing here? Yeah, you know, Ted, when you were doing your intro, which I could hear, <laughs> um, okay, you, good, you, good. you were talking. You were talking about communications, and you were talking about one of the things that you said that really interested me was you were talking about the need for a guide star strategy. Well, I think we're our own worst enemies. Fundraising is about communications. It's about building relationships, but we're very shy of actually talking about who we are, what we're doing, and what it takes to keep that show on the road. You know, fundraising is not an end in itself, but it's a critical piece of helping to achieve that impact in society around the world, and we never talk about it very effectively. Well, and I think you're absolutely right. I think one of the things that, that we've not been particularly good at, and I think the Internet has actually uh, sped up the, uh, the, the need for charities to get this right, um, is that concept of impact and being able to show that the money that's entrusted to us, the money that's not owed to us, but money that is, is given to us to make things happen is, in fact, making a difference. Well, and it's about that bond of trust. You know, it's the trust that individuals, that's what makes us different from the corporate world. It's the trust that individuals have that we will achieve the greatest impact for them in an area that they want to see change. So that's a really exciting thing. But when you go back and look about how we communicate with them about impact, often we're really not that good at it. And it boils down to the numbers. You say, right, we've got to fill in that T3010 um, or the Form 990 every year. And in doing that, we, we put in the finances, but we never actually explain it. And that's about operational realities. It's about um, presenting a picture of a budget for a, for a period of 12 years. Well, which of us operates in a framework of 12 months? None of us. Um, we're about yeah. the long term. We're in about long term. I absolutely investment. could not agree with you more about. Uh, and as you as you heard, uh, you know, we consider the number two most important online strategy is a guide star strategy. And part of that is for the fundraiser to actually understand and be part of the development of the 990 form, which is now the most public document of any charity in the United States, and is often never seen or engaged by the fundraising team until they're going to submit uh, a grant application. And by then, it's a done deal. It's already been submitted. Uh, and as you know, with the, the changes from the IRS and, and the quote-unquote new uh, 990, it requires a lot more narrative and a lot more information that talks about impact. Absolutely, and that's a huge opportunity for all of us. Um, you look at different, you look at different um, environments around the world. A lot of regulators are requiring a great deal more communication, and initially that's difficult. You don't have the structures in-house to do that. But what it seems to be doing um, in all the all the um, countries and regions that I've looked at over the years is drive the quality of reporting up. Suddenly we realise that this isn't just a duty. Um, it's a real opportunity for us to be clear and transparent and engage with the broadest possible range of people. You're absolutely right. The Internet is driving this because the freedom of access to information is a huge thing that I don't think we're really getting to grips with yet. We're starting to, but we've got a lot. I think you're absolutely right. The ability uh, for uh, donors to find out information independently using several different sources uh, is very important for charities to understand, and I don't think that they necessarily have the grip. So I'm thrilled if that's going to be a, a new focus 
for uh, for AFP to help their members understand uh, how important and where information is and how they can uh, engage that. You know, I'm thinking, uh, Andrew, before you became uh, uh, president and CEO uh, of AFP, uh, Paulette Myhire is a very uh, good friend to this show and was on this show several times. During her tenure, uh, I think one of the things arguably that, that, that defined her tenure uh, was a very rapid and deliberate, deliberate growth uh, in the numbers of members of AFP, the numbers of chapters. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering what's been the impact, if, if you can, you, you were with the staff for five years, now you're the CEO, the impact of, of that growth. Um, has it lost some focus? Has it diluted things? Has it, what, what is the, the outcome of that growth? I think the, the biggest outcome of that growth has been to move AFP to becoming more of a household name in the philanthropic community. Uh, it's very difficult within the United States now, if you're talking about fundraising, for AFP not to be part of that conversation. We've got a long way to go, and I think one of the challenges that we have is actually creating a direct dialogue between ourselves and our members, but more, perhaps sort of even more so, creating um, a dialogue between AFP and the organizations that our members work for. You know, we've, we've, we've traditionally engaged with the association field, but the huge nonprofit community out there, that's the world our members sit in, and that's the world that we have to create direct lines of communication with. How, how do you do that? Because I, I think you're absolutely uh, right about that. I, you know, for a lot of uh, your members, um, I suspect one of the challenges that they have, and particularly when money has gotten tight, uh, is getting their dues paid for because while their members, most of their administrators have no idea what AFP is. Yeah. Um, I, I can't tell you how many charities I run across um, who have no idea that there is a fundraising code of ethics. Um, what is the impact, and, and how how do you think you might be able to make uh, inroads into that corporate suite uh, of uh, charitable organizations? I think there's one very simple way that we can do it, and, and, and we've already got this in motion, which is to create a nonprofit organizational membership. Um, we piloted that last year. We've tweaked it. We've refined it. We're rolling that out through 2011 and 12, and that creates a direct opportunity for us to dialogue with the organization as well as the individuals, still focused on individual membership and individual professional growth, but with the opportunity to really begin to engage with those organizations in a variety of areas, not least the public policy platform. Well, I think that's brilliant. I, I really do. I, I one of uh, Part of my... Uh, background is uh, I served as the chief development officer at Johns Hopkins uh, on their Bayview campus and as a chief development officer one of the things that I learned about Hopkins is they were not members of AFP. They did not, within the fundraising uh, community, which are hundreds of fundraisers across the Hopkins family, uh, they did not support it, did not promote it. Um, and those, uh, there were sort of a few of us who were members of AFP. And, and you almost had to be in the closet um, because there really was no sense of value to the organization of supporting that kind of membership. And, and I really think that a move into that corporate suite is hugely important to even just supporting your current members. Well, I think so. And, you know, Ted, one of the ways in which we've been able to continue to add and grow value for membership in AFP over the last two years through the climate that we've all gone through is by increasingly working in collaborations with other organizations. So whether that's universities, colleges of higher education or nonprofit organizations themselves, we've been able to leverage our assets in the way that um, a nonprofit itself would against our partners' assets. So we've been working very closely to provide tailored webinar programs, training, education, train-the-trainer programs with large national nonprofits throughout the United States and, and abroad. And in doing that, I think we've grown awareness of AFP. We've grown the sense of value in AFP because we're engaging with our community much more effectively. There's a long way to go, but it's a very exciting track that we're on, I think. Well, I think those are very important themes that, uh, that that you're promoting, and I think for for your membership, you know, this this corporate membership uh, approach, this this move towards accentuating collaboration, um, I really think is uh, a very strong um, uh, uh, move it to the future uh, for. Uh, your organization. Now, uh, Andrew, we're going to uh, uh, take a, a little bit of, uh, of a, uh, a station break here. And when, when, uh, when we come back from, uh, from the break, what I want to ask you is to please share with our listeners 
what are some of the strategic imperatives that either you're looking to or maybe your board um, is looking to right now that spells a, a different kind of future uh, or is uh, the path to the future uh, the path from the past for AFP? So we'll be right back uh, from the break. It's our pleasure once again to uh, accentuate our sponsor for today's show, and that is an organization called Give and Gain. What I'm really excited about, and they've changed uh, or they've accentuated since last week, um, is that they are currently seeking charities to participate in free trials uh, for their very strong online donation, mobile donation, and online database services. And the, and the services will be provided to charities that participate in these trials free of charge until January 15, 2012. Well, for charitable organizations that have tight budgets, this is a great way to move forward and have state-of-the-art technology available for your organization. They combine online donations, content management, email, and mobile communication with a donor CRM all-in-one integrated package. They're replacing five-plus tools for most offices with one easy-to-use system to enable your organization to do online fundraising integrated into the largest social networks and tools. Yes, they integrate directly into Facebook, Twitter, and others. They provide secure online donations, inspired fundraising, online publishing, donor management for both online and offline gifts. So if you're receiving gifts offline, you can use this database for one centralized database and built-in communication tools. Check it out over in the radio links today. You'll find that at tedhart.com. Click on radio links and you'll see highlighted in yellow your opportunity to sign up. Now, space is limited for the application for trials, and they will close on June 30th. So now's the time for you to go and register. You'll get six months of service free, as I said, through January 15th, 2012. Uh, this is a global community of causes and donors from all over the world. New service here in North America, giveingain.com. Now let's head back to the show. Andrew, what are some of the strategic uh, initiatives that you have for the next a year or two years that specifically you want to accomplish? Yeah, well, Ted, let's take a step back. I mean, when I first came to <clears throat> excuse me, um, when I first came to AFP, the thing that attracted me more than anything else was the uniqueness of its vision as an association. There are many fundraising associations around the world, but AFP is the only one whose mission and vision states that it's a there to support the growth of ethical and effective fundraising worldwide. So everything we do has to underpin that. There is no other association that sees itself as having a global mission in that way. So as an internal um, appointee, one of the things you look at is that you have a vested interest in what you've achieved within the organization with your colleagues over the years, with the volunteers over the years. And we all feel that AFP is in a strong position right now for growth. But there are certain things that we really have to do um, in order to be, uh, be able to maximize that opportunity. And one of them sounds very, um, if you like, inward-focused, but it's about being more intentional. We have a strategic vision, but we've never really operationalized that through the use of a business plan. We've produced a budget year on year, and one of the big shifts, which to anyone looking in from the outside might not look so huge, uh, is to develop a three- to five-year business strategy, something that allows us to look at the big questions, membership structures, our role internationally, the way in which we approach contact with our, with our members, the resources that we need, and really begin to plan for that. That will have a huge impact on what we're able to do for our members and the fundraising community around the globe. Well, Andrew, I think one of the the, uh, the assets, and there's there's many that you bring to your new role as as CEO, but one of the assets is is of course uh, a very strong international viewpoint that you have. Of course, uh, coming to the United States from the UK, having a very much a global uh, view uh, while you were in uh, the UK. What would you say the the uh, uh, view of most uh, fundraisers around the world of AFP is, uh, or is AFP really still North American centric? I think AFP is a North American organization with a global focus. 
I think it's important to make that distinction. And I think the way in which others see us has changed over the years. There were times, I think, when they felt that AFP was not particularly interested in collaborative working. They saw AFP as a threat. That's simply not, not true, I, I don't feel, any longer. I think what people recognize in AFP is an organization that's based on ethics, that represents the professionalism and the sheer integrity of the fundraising profession in North America. And I think there are many organizations out there who look to AFP and other North American-based organizations really to understand what it is that makes our sector distinct. But I think there's an important um, thing that we need to be aware of there, which is all of these cultures, all of these organizations around the world operate very effectively in their own environment. They're looking to learn specific things from us, but there's also a great deal that we can learn from them. And I think that one of the things that AFP is positioned to do is really effectively act as a hub for fundraisers worldwide. Our core focus remains in North America. That's where our biggest opportunities for growth are. But there is no other organization that for the fundraising professional has the opportunity to raise awareness of innovative thinking, lateral thinking, some of the very exciting developments that we see in Latin America on the Asia Pacific Rim in some of these emerging markets for fundraising that feed back into developing our creativity and our innovation here in the United States and Canada. So it's a great way of, um, through AFP, of bringing some of the benefits of engaging internationally that we all look to see. And let's not forget, many of our donors are supporting causes around the world. You were talking about the internet earlier. Well, you know, we all have instant access to any form of information about any organization that we want anywhere. If we're interested in a particular cause, we're not confined to our backyard. We're not confined to our neighborhood or our city. We can look at what's going on in that area anywhere, and organizations like AFP can help us do that. And I think that's where the, the emphasis, as you're placing it, on uh, ethics is that uh, ethics uh, doesn't have borders, uh, and ethics and fundraising shouldn't have uh, borders. Would you say that the current AFP code of ethics stands up to an international constituency, or uh, is it, uh, is it um, much more North American viewed? Well, you may regret asking that question. You're talking to a policy geek here. Um, <laughs> one, well, that's one why of, I knew we had the right expert to ask that question. <laughs> well, one of, one of the things that brought me into the orbit of AFP was the initiative that my previous organization, the Initial Institute of Fundraising, was working on with AFP and others back in 2002-03 to develop an overarching statement of ethical principles in fundraising. We all recognize that the environment in which we operate varies from country to country, culture to culture, but we felt that there are some core principles that were common to all of us. And as we dug down into it and really had uh, good conversations and you know, fundraisers, it's hard not to talk, um, we discovered that we felt that we had more in common in terms of principles and our approach to the world in which we are working then we had differences. And so what we did collectively was pull together a statement of ethical principles in fundraisers that ultimately was endorsed by 25 different associations around the world. Well, anybody who's ever worked and tried to convene, whether it's on a state or provincial level, some kind of federal or trans-European or trans-global initiative will know that getting 25 different opinions around a table does not guarantee a consistent outcome. But one of the things that we're proudest of here at AFP is having been one of the principal architects of that statement because it sits above every national code and allows us to feel that there's a common ground there that we can all share and all endorse. And it helped to create a real sense of global community for the fundraising associations around the world who participated. Well, bravo to, uh, to AFP for, uh, for having uh, been part of that. Just a reminder to our listeners, you can dial in and ask a question at 347-324-3080. We have a lot of people over in the chat room. Uh, you can uh, uh, ask questions there. And, Andrew, uh, folks can email me questions at tedhart at tedhart.com. And we do have our first question uh, from Donna in St. Louis, and, and I guess this is a pretty – Basic question, Andrew, what's going to be happening with AFP dues? Well, AFP dues are one of the key things that underpin our financial performance, as we all know. Um, we've, we, we 
produce incremental raises um, perhaps every three to five years. But we're taking a step back from just that, 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 that approach to it. What we're trying to look at is how we can best serve the fundraising community. So looking at the entire membership structure and saying, what are we trying to achieve at each different level? How are we trying to support the chapters? How are we trying to support the IHQ through this? And what benefit are we giving to members? So there's no immediate intention to do anything with the AFP existing dues structure. But when we were talking about developing an intentional approach to business planning, one of the areas that we have to look at is to see whether the existing membership structure best serves all of your needs. So Donna, and I'll be coming to St. Louis um, in early October, so maybe we can talk about this then as well. What we're trying to do is make membership accessible to as broad a range of people as possible to support young people coming in from college um, and university into the profession and to support senior professionals as they move through their career as well. At the moment, we have a fairly simple and traditional membership structure. It may well be that in five years' time, looking back, we see considerable changes to that. Um, but it's an intentional process. It's a process that we have to go through with our volunteer leadership and our structure, uh, volunteer structure and make sure that we come up with the right solution. Andrew, hasn't that been a, a big challenge for AFP to hang on to? It's uh, most senior members, uh, uh, a lot of folks uh, uh, have moved on or do not uh, engage through the chapter structure. Uh, is there anything that an organization like AFP can do uh, to engage its senior members in a meaningful way? I think there's a, there's a lot that we can do. And um, if you look at our most solid area of retention, it tends to be in our most senior members. Um, but many of them see membership of AFP as a signal of their commitment to the profession. They see it as an opportunity to develop networks based on that. So they will go to our annual conference or to our board meetings or they'll attend um, chapter functions. But there's a great deal more that we could do. And when I was talking about reaching out to our various audiences, that's a key audience for AFP. We produce um, programs for specifically geared for that audience, like the partnership that we have with the Stanford Social Innovation Review, um, the partnerships that we've run with the uh, Center on Wealth and Philanthropy at Boston College, We've been piloting these opportunities, securing the feedback, and over the next two to three years, we'll be pulling those together into very consistent programs aimed at different market um, components. One of the key areas that we haven't done enough for, and we would acknowledge this straight off, is the whole area of the next generation. It's a critical issue for all of us, I think, to engage with young people, help them understand the strength and opportunity of our world, the strength and opportunities of the careers that we've all undertaken, they're being more intentional again about it. They're coming into it, seeing it as a long-term career. Many of us just fell into fundraising from something else or wouldn't have anticipated becoming fundraisers when we left college. It's very different now, and we have a big responsibility to them as well. Yeah, I think it is a very, very different uh, uh, market, and uh, that's one of the reasons why here on The Nonprofit Coach we try to cover so many different topics that are of interest uh, to the nonprofit world. Uh, Andrew, coming up next week here on The Nonprofit Coach, Tuesday, June 14th, uh, will be Mark McIntyre from Russ Reed, and he's going to be uh, speaking to our listeners about government funding. Uh, he's a government uh, grants expert, and uh, he'll be here on The Nonprofit Coach once a month, uh, here on the Nonprofit Coach on Fridays uh, once a month. We have the Green Show. This is a partnership with GreenNonprofits.org. That next magazine show comes up on Friday, June 17th, and that's at 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, and Robin Hessinger will be here from CARE2, and she'll be speaking about how to green your office. Uh, we do take a summer hiatus here on the Nonprofit Coach, so there will be no live broadcasts. Uh, here July and August. Uh, we'll be wrapping up our uh, series here before the summer break with two very important shows. Uh, for all of our listeners, I do want to make note of a change in date. The Nonprofit Coach is always on Tuesdays, except on June 20th. We will be doing a very special Monday, June 20th show, and this is the release, the national release of Giving USA Report. Just as they did last year, they're using the Nonprofit Coach as their radio outlet for sharing the first 
first look of Giving USA. So we're very excited uh, to partner uh, with the Giving Institute and to have the Giving USA report uh, here on the nonprofit coach. And that does require the rescheduling to Monday, uh, June 20th. And then the final show uh, here on the nonprofit coach before the summer hiatus uh, will be Mike Johansson, who is a Twitter expert uh, in helping our charities understand the power of Twitter. Uh, so all of that social media, all of that fundraising tools, uh, one of the things that's been particularly successful for AFP, I believe, over the last several years has been your webinar series. Um, why has that been so popular, and what's the future of that webinar series? Well, Ted, I could say to you straight off that one of the reasons it's been successful is the market research we've done. The content of that webinar series is very much driven by the users. We listen to what they what they want, we conduct evaluations, and we pay attention to them. So we've grown that hugely. We've also added free webinars to the mix. Um, we can use that as an informational resource for our members on specific issues. We had a very successful member-funded webinar last year in Canada because Canada Revenue Agency had issued new fundraising guidelines. It's a very flexible tool, as you know very well yourself, and um, it certainly allows people to participate from their desks or in groups uh, with an influential speaker, you've, uh, many, many of you have actually given of your time um, to support the AFP webinar program. And people, it, it just adds something to people that if they're challenged you know, so by their geographic location or if they're challenged by their financial resources, the webinar program represents a really good opportunity to engage. I think one of the interesting aspects of uh, the, uh, the the webinar series that you've had is how it's it's really been a group activity, has it has it not? I mean, the, the chapters use this as a, an opportunity for people to actually come together as opposed to just sitting in their own office. You can have as many as 120 people listening to or participating in a webinar and then using it as a, a, a basis for group discussion afterwards. Um, the archived webinars, some of our more remote chapters, frequently use the archived webinars as the basis for educational sessions and very successfully. I think we can expand on that. I mean, there's a lot that we can do to build that kind of learning experience around things like the international conference we offer or some of the more specialized conferences that we participate in. Last year, and I don't know whether you were aware of this, uh, we partnered with uh, Mexico's largest university, Tech de Monterrey, who are a long-standing partner of AFPs, to deliver a virtual congress. We've held a hemispheric congress most years in Mexico now for the last six, seven years. And um, what we did was effectively open up access to that by sweating text resources in terms of satellite technology. So we had 180 people joining us in Monterey, but we had nearly 400 additional people joining us from satellite sites around Mexico and Latin America to participate in a really vibrant event. So, you know, like everybody else listening to this show, we have to grasp the opportunities that are available to us and learn how to use them most effectively to support our our audiences. I, I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more, and I and I'm very pleased to uh, to hear that technology has a solid foot uh, in AFP. Now, Andrew, one of the things I want to share with my listeners today is something that uh, that I learned, and, and I want to ask you to uh, uh, to respond to uh, in the search for the new uh, president and CEO uh, of AFP. Of course, as you've mentioned, you were an internal candidate, uh, and as would be expected of any internal candidate, there were some in the search uh, search process. Uh, who sort of wanted somebody other than an internal candidate. Uh, and the, the thought was is that, you know, you were the shoe-in, you were the person who was going to get this show or get this, uh, this position. And one of the things that was shared with me um, is that while there were people who were not necessarily in your camp from the beginning, you absolutely blew them away in the interview process and the seriousness that you took about forward-looking uh, and not just sort of regurgitating the same of the past. Um, what was your approach to the interview process, and how did you win over some of the folks who were maybe not in your camp from the beginning? Well, you know, Ted, it certainly didn't feel like a shoe-in to me, <laughs> speaking as one of 350 potential applicants for the job. Um, AFP is an extraordinary organization. I've worked for fundraisers for nearly 20 years now, and this really is one of the most exciting opportunities anybody who serves fundraisers could possibly hope to get. 
I, I sat in that room with the search committee, 11 people, all of whom I knew well, all of whom had different views of me. I had nothing to lose as an internal candidate without, uh, by being brutally honest about who I was, what I felt, what I thought they would be getting with me. When you're a member of staff, you don't often have that opportunity with the leadership in an organization. Uh, you, you meet them on a regular basis, you work with them on a regular basis, but the ability to sit down for more than an hour with a group of people who you respect, who you trust, who you know are trying to do the best thing for the organization, it's a huge opportunity and one that you know, I was enormously privileged to have been given, but also I have to say I enjoyed. Um, I did not expect to have a blast during that interview process. But I think I've seldom had a more productive set of discussions than I did um, in those face-to-face -face interviews with those leaders, with those volunteers within the AFP structure. And it was a very rewarding experience for me. Well, what's been shared with me is that the ease and candor uh, that you brought to that really uh, did endear you with uh, with folks that maybe didn't come into that room uh, expecting that to happen. How how do you roll that forward into uh, now actually being president and CEO? Well, Ted, I believe passionately in what fundraising achieves in the nonprofit world. I've worked like like many of us. Um, around this show and around our, around our communities. I've worked with nonprofits all my adult life. I know what fundraising can do in helping to achieve impact. And the challenge for me in this seat is really looking at what AFP can do and what AFP should do moving forward to really make exponential change possible for fundraisers. AFP is about creating the most effective environment for fundraisers to offer, operate in. It's about signaling really strongly the key role that, a that fundraising plays in philanthropy. It's not just a function. You spoke earlier about the challenges that fundraisers have in getting their voice heard within their organizations. Well, AFP has to help make that happen. One of the key things that we have to do in developing relationships with nonprofit organizations is really to make them understand what they have to do to invest in their staff, to, in to listen to fundraisers, to help them have a voice in developing the strategy of their organizations to appreciate what they do in achieving impact. Now, AFP as an advocate for fundraisers in philanthropy is absolutely critical, and there is a huge amount to do there. We've been, I think, well, I, I can say it, I can make a joke at my own expense, but we've been quite British in our approach, fairly understated, quite modest, very reluctant to blow our own trumpet. Well, those days have to be gone. We have to be an active proponent of what fundraising achieves for our communities. Now, this is a really difficult time for all of us. Governments are not focused on what we do. They are focused on making their budgets balanced. They're taking a very short-term and limited view of that. Um, they are failing to see, and you talked about threats to the charitable tax deduction, they're failing to see the added value they get from non-profit engagement in these issues. And I never thought that I would live to see the day that a US-based government would say that more active engagement by government is the best use of resources. Quite extraordinary to see that, and quite extraordinary how little dialogue there's been about it. Yeah, and how little dialogue with the nonprofit uh, uh, sector as that's been uh, rolling forward. Andrew, it's uh, always amazing to me on this show how quickly the time passes. We do have about two minutes left uh, here on the show, and, and I was wondering if you would just reflect uh, as, as, we, uh, as we exit uh, the, the show here today. I think one of the disappointments that some folks have had of, of AFP uh, is, as you just mentioned, uh, relatively uh, low under-the-radar uh, um, knowledge that folks outside of the direct fundraising uh, community has, um, what, what uh, can be done in about 90 seconds here um, to, uh, to change that in the future? I think really basically achieve a common voice. Nobody appreciates better than outsider how difficult it is to achieve that in a country that celebrates rugged individualism to a really high level. Trying to get a common voice for the nonprofit community with a strong fundraising element of it um, has to be critical to our mission, has to be critical to moving forward. So, you know, in a nutshell, that's it. AFP shouting from the rooftops about what we can change. Well, I love that approach, and I have to thank you uh, for 
our listeners here today. I'm absolutely thrilled that Andrew Watt is the new president and CEO of AFP. I feel that uh, the organization is in good hands. Thank you for joining us today, Andrew Watt, and all of our listeners joining us right back here on The Nonprofit Coach. Tuesday, June 14th, Mark McIntyre from Russ Reed to learn all about government fundraising. All right, welcome back to next, uh, next week and join us again here on The Nonprofit Coach. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank <laughs> you.